there's a balance on Yom Kippur and throughout the days of awe between the seriousness which is necessary, absolutely necessary, and the sense of confidence in God who is merciful. It's important for us to give enough weight to the justice of God, setting aside mercy for a little while, so that we would take note of his holiness versus ours, of our law-breaking, if you will, of our rebellion, our disobedience. It's important to face that. If we don't do that, then we get no benefit from the efforts to be reconciled to God. We have to come to terms with his perfect holiness and with our own nature, which is not holy. We're called to become holy because God is holy. We're called to take note of him and to cry out to him who is holy, to, to learn his ways, to draw close to him, but to deal as well with those things that separate us from God. Now, throughout the evangelical world, throughout the Christian world, in every dimension, there's great emphasis on sin. In the Jewish world, there's less of an emphasis on sin. And sometimes it's healthy and sometimes it's unhealthy. But on Yom Kippur, Jewish people are gaining a monopoly on this day, <laughs> on confession of sin, because we are taking great effort, both traditional Jews, Messianic Jews, we're taking great effort to come before God with sincerity and to face our sin. It's important to do that. It's necessary to do that. It's not just enough to be present for a service. It's not just enough to go through the motions. It's not enough even just to fast and pray. The prophet Isaiah warns that just fasting and being confident in ourselves will get us nowhere. There is a need to humble ourselves. And every one of us needs to do this ourselves before God so that life doesn't have to humble us, and so that God doesn't have to humble us. This is the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. It's, it's the time when every one of us confesses our sin. We confess our sins individually. We confess our sins as a community. We humble ourselves before God. We fast and pray. We afflict our souls as we seek mercy and forgiveness. I was thinking about the time uh, when I was growing up, when I, when I was just a kid. My siblings, I think, helped me embrace the idea that Yom Kippur was serious. I remember my brother telling me, maybe with some glee, that I was almost 10 and would have to fast for Yom Kippur. <laughs> I don't think it was glee. Actually, he was like preparing me. And I understood he did, I needed to, my sister, my older sister was. And when we got to the certain age, we knew we were old enough to participate. We had a buy if we wanted to when we were younger. But we were called to join in. And each one of us took that seriously. I remember also 
talking to my father and, and saying, you know, these services are long. You think they're long here, they're nothing. <laughs> these are brief services for Yom Kippur. <laughs> yeah. But I remember saying to my father, I don't think it was on Yom Kippur, but it was at another, another day where I thought the services were long. And I said, they're long and they're boring. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said some things that I never forgot. <laughs> he didn't say, I know they're long. And he didn't say, yes, they can be boring. He didn't say anything like that. He said, it's your responsibility to find meaning. So if you need to, just keep reading the prayer book until you find something that's important to you. And the same thing for the, for the uh, Torah service, which was all in Hebrew without any English translation whatsoever. And I was saying, you know, like, that's a lot of Hebrew, Dad. <laughs> and he said, well, read it in English if you have to, if you want to, and just keep going. Find something that is important to you. That's your responsibility. That's what you have to do. And of course, I was thinking, he would say, well, you know, you can leave early. <laughs> he never said that. He never put responsibility on anyone else. It was on me to find purpose and meaning in the services. And I remember years, years later when he and I were trying to process what had happened to me when I had become a believer in Messiah. And I said, Dad, it's your fault. <laughs> I said it with a smile. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you taught me to do what's right, even if it's unpopular, and to go after what's true, even if no one else is, to think for myself and then to act in that way. And so that's on you. <laughs> I didn't say it quite like that. But I said, you gave me that. I wasn't being snarky at all. I, I said, you gave me that, and I'm so grateful and I'm continuing in that way. And he looked at me like, yeah, you're right. Each one of us has a responsibility before God. Each one of us has to take the full weight of that on our shoulders. No one else can do it for us. They can help us. They can point us in the right direction. They can share with us things that are useful. But until we take things to heart, we haven't taken it to heart. This is our responsibility. At Yom Kippur, I think that there is a hope within us. It's really a holy desire that motivates us to be right with God, to be reconciled to God, to have nothing standing between us. We deal with our sin before him, but we also deal with this most important question, what is the atoning sacrifice that we have? Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. In, in 
Hebrew is Yom HaKippurim, the day of atoning sacrifices, because there were multiple sacrifices. Everyone had to face his sin, starting with the high priest. There was no exempt clergy class that was considered to be so good that they were just going to guide everybody else, but they didn't need it themselves. It started with the priests. It moved to their families, and every priest had to say before God, I'm guilty. Every high priest had to say, I'm guilty. And think about what they had at risk. If they weren't repentant and humble when they went into the Holy of Holies, they might die. And that's why there was the custom of tying rope to the priest. So you could pull them out. Isn't that a terrible idea? Everyone had to come to terms. We had a desire, and we know we could get right with God. We just knew it had to be on his terms. Can you imagine coming to Yom Kippur, not like in modern days, but where so many innocent animals had to give up their lives? Where we would say to ourselves, I'm guilty. We're all guilty before God. And then imagine having to face the reality that this is not something you do just once. You have to do it over and over again, year by year, because it's not really taking away the sin. It's covering it for now. And then imagine the time period when Yeshua laid down his life. And what was going on among the Jewish people at that time, it was a a time of um, great uncertainty because there had been already a generation where sometimes the offering was acceptable and sometimes it wasn't. And then after the death of Yeshua, This according to Talmud, not according to Messianic sources, but according to traditional Jewish sources. After the death of Messiah, the offering on Yom Kippur was never again acceptable. Now, Talmud doesn't say after the death of Messiah. It just locates it in time and generations. It helps us understand why after Yeshua died, so many of the, of the priests came to the Lord because they understood this is no longer producing atonement, what we've been doing. This is no longer working, if you will. It hasn't been working so well, and it's not working at all anymore. We need something. We need something more. Isaiah communicates this so powerful idea. Let the wicked man give up his way and the sinful man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And the Lord will have compassion on him and let him return to our God who will greatly forgive him. This whole process from ancient times of 
having a day of atonement. Was, it was a day of reckoning. It was a day of preparation. It, it oriented our people to think we have to get right with God. We have to deal with our sin. We have to do it as a community. All of us have to face this. This is one of our hallmarks. It was foundational as well that Yeshua would lay down his life. That the Lord would say, I will become the redeemer for you. The Lord knew that there was a time when the whole temple system would come to an end. And when that happened, the Lord was ready. Before it happened, while it was coming to an end, if you will, the Lord provided a sacrifice that was perfect. That was perfect not just then, it's still perfect today. And in Messiah and in the life he laid down for us, we have a sacrifice that brings justly our reconciliation with God. It is not that God overlooks, it's that he takes notice and he compares and he says, this sacrifice is more costly than your sin cost. It counts. Okay, you're paid for. And then he turns to mercy and says, I love you, I receive you. Nothing stands between us. My father had a habit when he wanted us to do something and we didn't do it, he counted to three. Not four, not five. Three. We knew three was his magic number. And so we could, like, relax on one. (laughs) But we started getting ready on two. And by three, there was a pause, after which you wanted to be compliant. And he was not a guy with a temper by any means. But I remember one time, I had to be less than 10 years old. I really ticked him off. It's not that I caused him to lose his temper. I did something so wrong that he said he would spank me, which he rarely did, rarely. In fact, I only remember this one. But... He was revealing his anger to me. He wasn't out of control, but I knew I was the guilty one, not him. Do you understand what I'm saying? And while I'm being spanked, and it hurt. (laughs) He was not someone who said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. (laughs) He spanked me. It hurt. And I was the guilty one. I wasn't thinking, why are you doing this to me? I was thinking, why did I do this to me? Why did I do this? When the spanking was over, he was still bad. He was still my dad. He was serious, but there wasn't a gap between us. I, I paid the price. <laughs> And he now wanted to know, was I going to do what I needed to do? I didn't even wait for two. One, two, yes, yes, Dad. 
I was ready. I think, I think getting right with God can be like that, where we feel this sense of his anger, not his rejection, but his anger because he's standing for what is right and good. And he knows we have to learn to do it even if we have to be disciplined to learn. And he disciplines us, expecting us to say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And we know this, when we respond even to his discipline, when we respond even to his punishment, he's ready to show us mercy. If we harden our hearts, it doesn't go well. It just gets worse for us. At Yom Kippur, we're we're holding on to this idea, I can put things behind me that I must. I can. God will let me. It's not that he's going to ignore it. I have the responsibility to come to him and tell him the truth. It's not enough to stand next to people who are doing it if I don't do it. But I'm coming to God on his terms and I'm remembering how costly it is to repair a broken relationship and that's what I'm trying to do. I was thinking about last week's Torah portion and some words the Lord spoke to Moses that Moses wrote down after speaking to the children of Israel. We read about it in Deuteronomy 31, verses 16 and 17, where the Lord says to Moses, they will forsake me and they will break my covenant. And on that day, my anger will burn against them. And I will, and here the English is, is a little tricky because some say I will abandon them, but I, I want to I explore what he does. He says, I will hide my face from them so that they will be consumed and many troubles and afflictions will befall them. And on that day they will say, have not these disasters come upon us because our God is no longer with us? So they'll forget the covenant. God will become angry. The anger of one who loves, who wants to protect. He'll hide his face. And in his hidden position, difficulty will start piling up on us. At some point, we'll say, (laughs) Isn't this because the Lord has just left us? But we don't stop there. Because it's not that the Lord has left us. It's he left us to our own devices that we would humble ourselves. So we get what we're responsible for. It comes upon us. It's not that God gives up on the children of Israel at such a time. If he gave up, it'd be end of the book. 
No further writings. But that's not the case. The covenant continues. It's got to be restored again and again, and then it has to be renewed, we're told. But the idea is this, that we don't just ask this question, is this because the Lord is not with us, but what do we need to do so that we're with the Lord? And that becomes our question. It's the constant Yom Kippur question. And the answer is found in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31 which is recounted in the letter to the Hebrews, to Messianic Jews, in chapter 8. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will establish for the house of Israel and the house of Judah a new covenant. It's a renewed covenant, a continuation but change. It will not be like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by their hand and led them forth out of the land of Egypt because they for their part, did not remain faithful to the covenant. Which prophet first warned Israel that Israel would not remain faithful? Moses. And do you think Moses was an anti-Semite? I don't think so. Jeremiah is not an anti-Semite. This position is not an anti-Semitic. It's a prophetic position. In Jeremiah 31, the Lord says, I was a husband to them, but they did not remain faithful to me. In the Septuagint, it says that the Lord said, so I stopped concerning myself with them. The implication is to see what they would do. Verse 10, this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. That is profoundly important for Yom Kippur. It's not enough to have a Torah. It's not enough to know about the instructions of God. It's not enough to have rules and regulations that are external to us we have a responsibility to take them inwardly as the new covenant promises. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. None of them will have to teach his fellow citizen or his brother saying, you need to know the Lord because they will all have an intimate, personal relationship with me from the least to the greatest, because I will be merciful toward their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What was the condition for that mercy? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I'm going to explain something. In one sense, there was no condition for the mercy of God. Here's what I mean. God decided to provide an atoning sacrifice while we were still his enemies. And even before we were born. Before we had begun to repent. While we were far away. So he decided to be merciful. But he also had a provision for justice. Because he knows mercy mercy without justice will not prevail. And so he had this condition. 
You have to repent. You have to turn to him. You have to confess your sin. You have to have a change of heart. You have to accept my son, my sacrifice for you. So the mercy was decided far in advance, but it was still incumbent on us to deal with it. And to understand, this is not, as someone once said, sloppy agape, (laughs) where God just doesn't even care. He does care. He's wanting to work his righteousness into us. He's wanting us to represent him to others. And for this reason, we take note of what he has done. His Torah moves inside of us. It's not external. The new covenant prepares the way for the Holy Spirit to come within us, to live within us and make little sanctuaries for God. The new covenant is built upon a new priest, Yeshua, A new sacrifice, not the old ones, but the Lord himself becomes the sacrifice. The Lord becomes the redeemer, the priest, and the sacrifice all together. The psalmist wrote this, open to me the gates of righteousness and I will enter through them. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become, you have become my Yeshua. You have become my salvation. Every day is a good day to turn to the Lord. Every day is a good day to make a new, a new start And until you know you've made a start, until you respond to the Lord and say, Lord, that's me, I'm following you. That's me, I'm putting my trust in you. That's me, I'm accepting the sacrifice of Yeshua. I know he died and paid the price for my sins. Until it's you who says, I know he rose from the dead. I know he returned to heaven. I know that he's made the way for me and I am glad for this and I will follow him. Until you say for yourself that, you haven't had your new beginning. It may stretch out. Some people say this piece and that piece and this piece over days, weeks, months. Some take years to get to that. They become positive. They've got symptoms. But it's not full blown. But I tell you this, what could be a better day than Yom Kippur than to be able to say to the Lord, thank you, Lord, for salvation. You become my salvation. Now I get what Yeshua was doing when he came down from heaven, took on human flesh, and gave up his life for me. I get it. I'm turning to you. Couldn't be a better day. It's a great day to be born. Congratulations to the Neils. It's a great day to be born again. Congratulations to any, anyone who makes that decision today. If you decide, Lord, I want to follow you, then you start 
with a confession of your own mouth, Lord, today's the day for me I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from the life of rebellion, the life of sin, and I'm turning to you. And I know that the penalty for my sins is, is vacated because of what Yeshua has done for me. I know that he has become my atonement, that his sacrifice has covered the full cost of my sins. And with humility, Lord, I say I want to follow you now and all the days of my life. In the name of Yeshua we pray. Amen. When you pray like that, it's a great beginning. If today that's your prayer, let me know. Let Rabbi Yuri know. Let one of us know because there's nothing that could be better than telling someone else about how you've had a new day and a new beginning with the Lord.